Welcome to another episode of Look Into It. Tonight, one of my best friends in the world, MMA, UFC, referee extraordinaire, Mr. Mike Beltran. Que pues, compa? Yo, cabrón. How are you, Eddie? Thanks for having me, bro. <laughs> Most people don't know you're full-blown East L.A. Mexican, 100%, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm about as Mexican as you can get, man. Yeah, yeah you, first, you first generation. Get, you do not look Mexican at all. You speak fluent Spanish and everything. Speak it, read it, and write it. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I want to get into everything. I want to get into, you were born in East LA, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. That's about as Mexican as you can get. Uh, second on that list, there's East LA's number one Mexican, and number two is Santa Ana. That's where I'm from. Santana's, Santa Ana is the East time. LA of Orange County. You know that. Oh yeah, dude. That's about that's 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 pretty that's pretty Mexican right there, bro. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So, your were your parents born in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. My uh, my dad's from Culiacán, Sinaloa, and my mom is from Tepehuana, Durango. Mi mamá is de Guadalajara. Mi papá de Chihuahua. Yeah, yeah, Chihuahua. Does it, doesn't it sound like I speak fluent Spanish when I say that? You can roll your R's not down. <laughs> yeah, when people when when Mexicans hear that, they start getting deep with me. Like, oh my God, this guy speaks great Spanish, but that's all I really got. That and on the side of año, y no mames. <laughs> no mames is the best word ever, bro. No mames way. <laughs> so so uh, how old were your parents when they crossed the border? Did they cross illegally or were they legal? Um, actually, my mom came here legally, I believe. And my dad, my dad crossed the border like he was a border crossing paisa, bro. He was jumping back and forth. And before they met, or after yeah. they met, yeah, they met here. They met actually here in East Los Angeles. Oh shit! Okay, okay. Yeah, but my dad, my dad crossed the border like three times, and um, he was a he was a construction worker, and you know, and, and uh, he was a field. Actually, my dad was a field worker in in in, uh, in the fields of Culiacan in Sinaloa. He was a field Doing worker. What in the fields? Like picking what? Uh, maize, you know, frijol, you know, um, agricultural stuff from Sinaloa. <laughs> Man, you know what? I never really thought about how do how do beans work? Like, where beans are like in pods, like in. Uh... I don't know. I I know that they grew corn in their fields where they were at, and that was primarily my dad's get down was was a uh, was a uh, was a field worker because they were poor, so he was out there. He was out there, you know, whatever work he can get at nine years old to help out the families. What he did. And uh, being a field worker was my dad's. That's all they, you know, they put the kids out there to work. So your mom and dad met in East LA? They met here in Los Angeles, yeah. Did yeah. you ever ask them about that, how they met? Like, do you ever get into, um, you into that? I don't know. I think it was like some baile or something, some dance. Quinceanera? It's probably, you know, and uh, they, they met and, uh, um, you know, my dad, my dad threw the movidas at my mom and, and, uh, and uh, he was all about it, and you know, he, he took my mom. He he courted he courted my mom, and and uh, of course, you know, that was huge. He had to get permission for my for my family that was already here, my my uncles, and and uh, and it was a big thing back in the you know sixties, 
So uh, that's how they met. And then they, 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 they dated and um, well, subsequently got married and settled in East Los Angeles. Like, like uh, the majority of the Mexicans that come from, from, from Mexico settle in East Los Angeles as the first point of contact. Obviously Santana is the other one and Fresno and other States, other cities uh, um, along the state, you know? Now, uh, how many kids did your parents have? Four. There's four of us. And I got a half brother. And you're the youngest, oldest, middle? I'm the middle child. I'm the second. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You have a couple brothers, couple sisters? I have one younger brother um, who's eight years younger than I am. And my older sister, Lupe, she's two years older than it's me. And then my, my sister, Yvette, who is a year younger than I am. And your parents are still together? My parents are still together. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They have a very, they have a real functional relationship. So they're, you know, they do everything together. They're, they're, they're obviously hardcore Catholics, you know, and, and uh, we're both, we're all raised that way, but um, they, they have a very good relationship though. And what um, high school did you go to? Garfield high school, brother Garfield Bulldogs, East LA. Isn't that where Oscar De La Hoya went? Yeah, I went to high school with Oscar. Yeah. You guys yeah. were in the same grade or what? Yeah, we grew up together. Yeah. Same grade. You and Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, 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 yeah. I grew up with Oscar. No, and Oscar since he was 14 years old. He used to be a skater. Really? Yeah, he was a skater die dude and he boxed. He was a very good kid, man. Very, very focused, very humble, very down to earth kid. And, um, you know, since, since I've known Oscar, he, he was, you know, he, he used to bring in his gold medals to, uh, to school, you know, the, he just won the McDonald Olympics, the Pan Am. So he brought in like a whole shitload of medals to uh, to art class in fourth period. He goes, hey, check this out. But he was also a joker. And he used to bring a little shocking machine and he used to shock people in school, you know, in class. But he said at one time, man, he said, he goes, I'm going to be a world, I'm going to win the gold medal in the Olympics, which was Barcelona. And I'm going to be a world champion. And he goes, you're going to be there. And I said, I said, I'm, I'm there, man. I'm there for you, dog. And subsequently, believe it or not, um, I was there when he beat Pernell Whitaker for the title. I, I went to go see him for his championship fight. I saw his very first pro fight. It was at the forum, and it lasted like 30 seconds. Yeah, Oscar Oscar had a beautiful jab. He was just an amazing you know, fighter and a boxer. He had a heart of gold. You know? I was a huge, huge Oscar De La Hoya fan. Uh, basically, when it comes to boxing, it's, that, that's, that's, the only, that's the only place time and space where you could be racist because every mexican going for the mexican guy every oh, yeah. black every black dude going for the black dude every white guy going for the white guy and it's totally fine yeah, totally yeah like you, no, know, you don't have you don't have any black like if there's a black guy fighting a mexican guy you don't have the black guys going for the mexicans you don't have the mexicans going for the blacks it's so racist you know <laughs> what i mean and and when um when oscar de la hoya fought julio caesar chavez Oh, Julio Cesar Chavez was that was my god, dude. I, oh, I used to here. be before the UFC. I was just as much into boxing as I was the UFC. I knew every fighter in every division, the top ten of every division. I would just yeah. study the top ten. I knew their records. I was so into boxing. I had stacks of boxing magazines all over my house with Roberto yeah, Duran on the cover, Julio Cesar Chavez, Oscar De La Hoya. So when Oscar De La Hoya fought. Julio Cesar Chavez, that was, man, I didn't know who to go for. I was like, fuck, what a conundrum. You know what I mean? But you know yeah. who I ended up rooting for? Cesar Chavez. You know why? Because he's a gran campeón mexicano, the best fighter from Culiacán, Sinaloa, that ever 
that ever walked the face of the earth, brother. That's why. No, no. I, no. I went for him because he didn't speak any English. <laughs> and, and he came out with the mariachis. You know what I mean? No, he, he came, came out, out with the banda. mariachis. He so, came out with banda. Banda. Yeah. <laughs> he came out with tamborazos or banda. And I saw that fight. That was back when they would show... Uh, they would show fights in arenas like on big screens, you know what yeah. I mean? And I yeah. saw it at the, do you remember the, it's the LA sports arena. Remember that shit? Is that yeah. still, is that still around? Did the, they knock the, it down? LA sport, you mean the, the forum? No, not the forum. The LA sports arena. It's different. It's where the, where the, the Clippers used to play. Or maybe they still play there now. You don't, the LA sports arena. You don't, you don't know the yeah, difference yeah, between yeah, that and the yeah. forum. Yeah, I, I had it confused with the forum, but yeah. I remember the convention center, obviously, and the forum. Yeah, the forum, the Lakers played at the forum, but the Clippers, they played at the sports arena. But anyways, that's that's where I saw it. It was, uh, it's pr they probably knocked it down. It's right by the Coliseum. But, oh, yeah, but, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, like, so I, it was packed. It was fucking packed, and everybody was watching it on a screen. Oh, you got to... Okay, here we go. Oh, there it is, right there. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> LA Sports. Did they knock that shit down? I think it got knocked down, dude. Yeah, it looks like they knocked it the fuck down. Yeah, that's just not. A... Oh Besides yeah, look Clippers... at Los Angeles Sports Arena demolition. Yep. Like, yeah, the Clippers shit. sucked anyway, so nobody really cared, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um. So now you're uh, in high school. What did you want to be in high school? Did you ever imagine you'd be a famous UFC ref? No, I was. I mean, obviously the MMA wasn't around then, you know. But um, I, I honestly, since I was 14 years old, since I was a kid, I can I can remember I followed in my cousin's footsteps, and um, and and uh, wanted to be a deputy sheriff, wanted to be a cop, and um, you know that was that was like a I wanted to be just like my cousin, you know, who um, you know became a marine and 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 uh, and became a cop. And he was the first cop in our family, actually the first Marine in our family, and then and then the, the police officer. So I followed in his footsteps, and I thought that was uh, that's 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 all I ever wanted to do is to be a cop. So you you were a Marine first. How long were you in the Marine Corps? I was in the Marine Corps for a few years until I got I got uh, I got injured, you know, and I got hurt. So yeah, honorable I, honorable discharge. Yeah, I got an honorable discharge. I used to box, so I was boxing since I was a kid, and I boxed in there, and I got hit in the head you know, a couple of times, and I had a had some some bad injuries out of it with the detached retina and so forth and so on. So, um, yeah, that was it. I didn't do anything special, you know. I was in and out, and I no, was no Iraq, no nothing like that. No, actually, I enlisted during the the Gulf War, right? Initially, one in ninety one, right? Ninety one, yeah. I graduated class of ninety one, and I enlisted right away. The war was over before it started, right? So I got um, I enlisted. I went in, and uh, I got hurt, and at that time. Clinton had taken over, had beat Bush and to take over the presidency. And uh, he had, that's when all the major budget cuts were happened in the military. They shut down uh, El Toro, you know, Cherry Point, and a lot of big military installations all, uh, all over the country. So and, Clinton uh, did that. I, I wasn't aware. Clinton was, was shutting down military installations? Yeah. Yeah. Usually when a Democrat takes over, um, they uh, the military is the first thing that gets cut. And um, so I couldn't. I couldn't switch over to another MOS, another job, because that was it. I was infantry, so that was that was it. So he cut everybody that was that was broke, and I was a broke down dude. So I got you know I got the boot, but I, I you know things happen for a reason. You know I became a cop, 
And um, I was still able to- How did that go? How did, so you get out, you get out of the Marines mm-hmm. and immediately you sign up to be a cop? Yeah. Yeah. I got out, went to school for a bit and then um, I got hired and I got hired by the sheriff's department, which is what I wanted to be. I got hired by both LAPD and the sheriff's and um, I wanted to be a deputy. So- um, why, why a deputy? I grew up in the area where it was, it was patrolled by deputies. I thought- um, you know, I respect LAPD, you know, I think they're, they do a good job back then. They were obviously, you know, they were a lot more aggressive than they are today, you know, but, uh, the sheriffs were always cool. They were always, um, you know, they pull you over, they wouldn't give you tickets, you know, they just, you know, take your beer away or, you know, or whatever, and just kick you loose and just tell you, Hey, get on, don't be stupid. Um, you got, you know, I thought they were very, I thought they were a lot more fair and much more, um, that's what I saw. They were aggressive. But if you had something coming, they would, they would, you know, take care of business. But I always, I always um, admired them. I always loved how they worked. They were always cool. If you were a gangster and you were a turd and you did dirt, then you had something coming to you. But if you're a good kid and you're just mischievous, like I was, um, you know, kind of just kick rocks, kid, and, you know, be safe, but don't do stupid shit. So I always liked the dialogue. I've always had very good encounters, even though, I got pulled over quite a bit as a kid. Um, they were always cool, you know, and um, I just I just wanted to work East Los Angeles Station, where the area that I grew up in. I wanted to patrol and uh, and do that. So that was that was that was fun. Oh shit! There you are. Oh man, look you. you look like you're ready to go to war. <laughs> <laughs> Ugly motherfucker. <laughs> so. Um, uh, how long did it take to become a deputy sheriff from the time um, you started the police academy? Everybody goes to the same police academy, whether it's LAPD and sheriff or they're two separate ones. No, they're separate. They're separate academies, bro. There's, there's different stuff. There's the uh, LAPD has their own academy, which is, you know, Elysian Park by Dodger Stadium. That was the original one. That's, that's, that's the OG. You know, that's a lot of tradition there. It's pretty badass. The sheriff's department had theirs in Biscaloo, but then eventually got sent to uh, Star Center, which is in Whittier. And that's the academy that I went to. Every department, major department, has their own academy. Long Beach has their own academy. Sheriffs do uh, LAPD, um, Riverside. They all have. So you didn't. You didn't go to the LAPD uh, academy, the one no, right because, there by Dodger Stadium. You didn't. No, go to because that? I got hired by the sheriffs, so okay. I went to the sheriff academy. Okay. And how long do you do that for? Sam Tripley and I are coming to your town. Catch us on the road doing tinfoil hat comedy. Follow me on Instagram at tinfoil hat comedy night. September 8th, we'll be in Dallas, Texas. And September 9th, Austin. Go to samtripley.com for more information and to buy your tickets. See you on the road. The Academy is about six months. That's it? Six okay. Months. It's six months of training. And then, and then you get, you know, you have to pass a series of tests. And, um, you know, back then it was, it was, it was a lot harder than it is today. You know, um, you know, there were a lot more hands-on, much more, much more trying to weed out the people that didn't belong there. And, uh, you know, times have changed between, you know, 29 years now, be 29 years for me this year. And, um, you know, like everything else, you know, entitlement people that are, you know, a lot softer and get through and complain, usually get what they want and they don't weed them out like they used to. My nephew is, uh, he just became a, a sheriff 
or I think a deputy sheriff, because you're not no. There's only one sheriff, right? And everybody else is a deputy. Is that how it, is that how it goes? You don't say like you're a sheriff. You say you're a deputy sheriff, and there's only one sheriff per county. Is that how it yes, is? Yes, that's it. That's correct. Okay, okay. You're a deputy sheriff. Uh, my nephew Angel, who just became a deputy sheriff, he had to go. He had to do some time in in the the jails. Yeah. Is that typical? You you start there. Yeah, I did five years in the county, Men's Central Jail. Damn, that must have been crazy. Men's Central Jail was Men's Central Jail. Here's the difference, man. This is this is what that's what like I, the one downtown, right? Yeah, that's Men's Central Jail in downtown LA. Yeah, you know the th- the difference between the sheriffs in Los Angeles and, and, and police agencies is that sheriffs go, we go straight to the jails or the courts, right? Majority of us go to the jails, and there's a reason why I think there's a big difference in, in how we were trained and our thought process and our mentality is that when you're in the jail setting, you, you're a young kid. I got hired at a young age, so I had time to mature. I did five years in dealing with the worst of the worst people, interacting with, you know, hardcore gang members from the MA, Aryan Brotherhood, BGF, Black Gorilla Family, uh, you know, Nazi lowriders, uh, you know, bikers. Um, Nazi lowriders. Holy shit. I never heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, Are it they was, white? They're like white yeah. cholos. They're white. They're they're a white prison gang now. But before, they they were just used to be mainline. But you deal with the worst of the worst. You have time to mature. You have time to to grow up while in there. But these, it's education because you're work. You're dealing with the worst of the worst. So, I would deal with cartel level, mid level dealers, street level dealers, and I asked them how they did their deeds, and they tell you everything. And that's the schooling that a lot of young people don't get if you go straight to the streets at a young age, as opposed to the sheriffs, where you get that that hardcore educational, you know, mindset of how these criminals think. And I think that's what separates us as far as maturity wise goes, and and uh, and our our level of coping with big crowds because of riots and everything else. We already experienced that at a young age as a deputy sheriff. Now your career is prolonged because you're in the jails, but. I think that time is an educational time that I looked at it to train and learn about prison gangs or street gangs and cartels and drugs and everything else, drug dealers, how they operate. I learned a lot while in that time and I made use of my time while I was in there before I hit the streets. So that was something that, that, uh, that was invaluable training and information you can get while you're in there before you transition into the streets. So what was your typical day like when you first got into the jails? Like, um, what what are you what are you doing? Just are you you like uh, transporting prisoners constantly, just walking them to different spots, or you you have a post and you're just watching like monitors and stuff? No, what is your typical day like? Really, there was no monitors back then. You know, it was it was it was, it was old school. So Men's Central Jail is the largest jail in the world with the biggest jail population, at least it was then. And, and it's, it's, it's huge. So I the work one right there. The one that's right there off the one Oh one, correct. Downtown one Oh one. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. It's off of Vignes and um, it's off of Boucher street is what it is. It's, it's, it's right there. But uh, that jail, your typical day, I worked the high power floor. So I worked the, with all the, the violent inmates that were arrested and were there. So you had murderers, you know, um, assaults with a, with a deadly weapon. Um, and they're all in one big room. All of them were in cells. They're all, all in cells. by themselves. Okay. 
they were no, not by themselves. There were six man cells on the bottom floor and on the top floor, there were, there were four man cells. And at times, because the population was so big, they were, we would have floor sleepers. So you could have up to eight to 10 inmates in one cell. And then, and on the top, you would have up to six or more because the population was so big because there were, it's not like today where they release you for everything, you know? So, um, we had a lot of, a lot of crazy shit happening in there. So I worked those floors, meaning I would let them out for chow showers. Um, and then I, I was really intrigued with gangs. So I learned, I got involved with working the prison gangs within the jails. So, you know, I worked away to a position called, um, operation safe jails. And I was, a a, a, a jail, um, gang deputy and uh that was that was something there you go that's man central just old school with the old phones man shit are those phones still there they're probably <laughs> not i don't know what's there now everybody has remember pay one. phones <laughs> yeah there you go that's a that's a typical cell right there yeah they got a phone in the cell yeah they have a, and, have a, have a yeah and you could use it anytime yeah uh-huh that's kind of cool but but we have to turn them on for you so you know, if the inmates were cooperative, you, you turn them on. I always, I always turn the phones on. It didn't bother me any. So, you know, they knew they had program when I work because I would put the, uh, I would put music on for the inmates in my, in my, uh, in my area. You could and, do that? Uh, yeah. I used to bring in a little, little small radio. And so all the inmates that, uh, that were in my, uh, in my module on my side, they knew that when, when I was on, they would get music, so I would play like oldies or, or like metal. I would play Slayer, Metallica. Um, <laughs> Did they ever say turn yeah, that shit know. off? What's that? Did they ever say turn that shit off? Or they were just like happy with like when you because not everybody likes Slayer. You know what I mean? Slayer is uh is um you know what man that that, that takes a. a a time to understand. Yeah, <laughs> for, but for some people. You know what, dude? I would I would put Los Tigres del Norte, Mariachis, Banda. I would play all different kinds of genres in there, and I would get an insane amount of cooperation from the inmates because I came across them as 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 I'm doing my job, but I also like music like you do too. I'm not here to judge you for what you're here for. I just don't want any problems while you're in here. So yeah. I would put some I would bump some music on. Universally, everybody loves oldies. So that would really chill them out. You know what I mean? So I would put on, when I worked the gang module, we had the essays on the bottom, the Southsiders and the Peckerwoods, which were the white gangs up on top. And then the Asians on the other side. And then on the other side of the module, we had the, 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 the Crips and Bloods and Maravillas and some other, some other, um, um, and, uh, we have who, has the, who has the most power in, uh, of all the races in jail. In that Mexicans. jail, the Mexican Mexicans do the Mexican. What, mafia. Would that would you say like is this? Is, do they still call it Mexican mafia? Is that still yeah, like La M? La M. La M is the Mexican mafia. M. La M. Uh huh. And they they have more power than even the blacks. Mexicans run the show. Period. Really? Yeah, hundred percent. Do blacks ever try to challenge them and shit? Like, yo. Of course they do. That's why we have so many. So most of the fights we have are race are race riots. You know, really? it's always it's it's just a. Look, Eddie, I mean, we talked about this before several times. Los Angeles in and of itself, with all the shootings that are going on in the streets in Compton, South Central, 
all the areas where you have, you're integrated with Blacks and Hispanics, bro, it's a race war for territorial turf to run the drug trade. And it's all about the drug trade. It's all about the drug trade, man. And, and, and Mexicans have taken over, which is why you have so many Compton was predominantly blacks. Now they have fled and left to like Lancaster, Palmdale, certain other areas like in the high desert, but they've taken over by Mexicans. And that's, that's just all to run the drug trades and everything there is behind race wars. They drug trade and all the shootings that you have are all, it's all race related, man. They just don't, they just don't play nice with each other. And the same shit goes in the jails. They just don't play nice with each other, which is why you have so many riots. It could be somebody didn't shower and he smelled. And then, you know, they told him to check himself and shower. That could be a riot. It could be somebody trying to punk a, a paisa, you know, a, a, a Mexican national. And that could spike, spark off a, a riot, or it could be something of order getting from up north in the uh, in, in the joint, and that Carnal, which is an MA, um, you know, uh, member, could start kicking off stuff here in county. And you got several different fashions, different politics within the county system to the state system, and then there's federal. So all these are all different fashions and different cars, if you will. That, that kick off all kinds of riots when one of those people are in there or they want to make a name for themselves and they start, you know, going off on, on, on blacks or, or a black and go off on a Mexican. And, and then there you go. So that's what uh, starts. It. There's, I'm, I'm assuming there's way more Mexicans in prison than, than any other race. Yeah. 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 Way more. It's clear. There's way more Mexicans, right? I would say so. Yeah. And now, sure. and now, um, if you're like a paisa, which is like a, a Mexican, yes. a, a one that hangs out in front of like Home Depot or, you know, is not like a like a like a typical cholo gangster. When he goes to jail, do it, does he go with Mexican mafia or is there a separate group where it's just paisas and then the cholos? OK, it's not the Mexican mafia. It's called it's called just the Sureños, Southsiders, which is south of, of of bakersfield right so that's that's those are southerners southern mexicans and you got your northern norcal mexicans and then you got your central florida i mean i'm sorry fresno bulldogs which is that's they're all different fashions and different sets here they're, they're called sudanians but the ma is the one that runs it all but you run with the south siders with the with the cholos so if you're a paisa which is a mexican national you you run with the hispanics you run with your own kind and and that's how they, they so you get a paisa will get lumped in with the cholos in the Mexican uh, mafia, Emma. They would they would they would get lumped together, integrated with Hispanics, and those are the guys that run the show, the Southerners, the South the Southsiders, the Sureños. But within the Sureño arc hierarchy, it's the Emma that runs the Southerners. You see what I'm saying? Okay. But they're called Southsiders unless you're talking to specific leaders of that. Um, criminal enterprise, which is, would be the MA. Make sense? Now, what about like like dudes from Honduras or Costa Rica? What, when they go to when they go to jail, do they go with the Mexican mafia? Southerners, Southsiders. So they go Southsiders. So basically, Southsiders like anything basically south of San Diego, correct? Like if you if you're from south, Ecuador, south of Bakersfield. All the way down to South America. Anything correct? south of Bakersfield is considered a Southsider. So, yeah, 
but like but so it doesn't matter if you're actually mexican as long as you're latin you're you're in it right yeah as long as you're hispanic you're latino it doesn't matter where you're from honduras el salvador doesn't matter central american you're you're, you're gonna ride with the hispanics you're gonna ride you're gonna run with a hispanic car yeah and that would be the Southsiders. and ms-13 that's that that could be mexicans too it doesn't have to be like because isn't it from El Salvador, MS-13? Yeah, that's their own thing. They, that's their own gang. So, so no Mexicans are on MS-13. They're all they're all Salvadorans. The majority of them are. You know, okay. I'm sure they could have like a someone who's Mexican who grew up with them. I'm sure you can have that. But the majority of them are Salvadorans. Hmm. And uh, predominantly, and, all of them. But when the, when MS-13 goes to prison they're not like their own little MS-13 group. They're with uh, the, the the Southerners or Mexican Mafia, correct? Yeah, they run with them. And also 18th Street is huge because 18th Street's a big melting pot of everybody, predominantly, you know, Mexicans. But there's a lot of Salvadorans integrated within 18th Street that are integrated together. And there are huge gangs like 18th Street and Mara Salvatrucha. Those are huge, huge jail population of inmates that are a lot of them are central american primarily salvadoran depending on what area you're at because there's there's a lot of mexicans a lot of the majority of them are mexicans but a lot of them are also salvadorans so like guatemalans they really don't have that many um uh criminal i mean like um they don't have their own like there's no guatemalan uh section right it's all just get in with the Mexican mob. Whatever, whatever, whatever area you grew up in, and there's a gang there, and you're Guatemalan, Honduran, and you grew up in, 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 in let's say Santana and F troops area, right? You join that gang if that's what you choose to do, because that's what you grew up in. So there's no, you don't go shopping for gangs, you know, where you where you're gonna get accepted. If you live in Santa Ana, you're not gonna go to L.A. You're gonna go to the area you grew up in and 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 care about your business. Now, white people in jail, it, it, they're, they're just considered like Aryan Brotherhood, correct? Or Peckerwoods or something? They're, 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 they're called Peckerwoods or Woods or, you know, or just, you know, just, just straight, straight white boys. And white boys, just like Mexicans and, and, and Hispanics, they run their own car. They run with the Woods. Within the white structure is the AB, the brand, the Aryan Brotherhood. Nazi lowriders, P9s, which are which are uh, skinheads, and they run their own thing, and and they're all there's everyone has different fashions within their within their structure and race structure in the in the penal system. And those Nazi lowriders, like if you're in jail and you're a, a Nazi lowrider or Aryan Brotherhood or whatever, um, they're super racist, correct? Isn't isn't that a dangerous place to be racist in prison? It's interesting to say that, I mean, they all have their biases and racism, of course, you know, but they, they just stick to their own because a lot of these white boys marry Mexican chicks. You know what I'm saying? You can't be racist if you're going to integrate your blood with a Mexican or, or, or a Latina or some of them, you know, they hook up with Asians and whatever. So I think their, their ideology is, is more towards, you know, your hardcore extremists are into purifying the race and so forth and so on, right? But within the system, within any jail system, at least in the California side or or in, in any penal system, you kind of stick to your own. You stick to your own race. Um, but you have some some 
some woods, some some white boys that grew up with essays, and they get along with the they run with the Hispanics, Southerners, and you got some that hang with the white boys. But they, you know, that's that's a that's something that that once you're in there, how you grew up is who you ride with. You know what I mean? And I, I could only imagine um, that the Asian community in prison it's got to be kind of small right they very small very small there's just a few of them here and there right yeah 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 you got there, there's a small percentage do of they them. get fucked with because there's a small number of them do they get they, advantage of? they kind of stick to their own you know and and you know they don't a lot of them a lot of them depending on what area they're at like some of the cambodians and so forth and so on that 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 grew up in the Long Beach area, tend to run with the with some of the black gangs, you know, the Crips. Um, they're kind of sympathizers with them, so they tend to ride with uh, with some of the black gangs. But some of the Asians, depending on where they're at, are also involved with Hispanic gangs. It just depends on where you're at. But the majority of the whole we're talking about the Asian subculture, as far as gang members um, from Monterey Park, Alhambra, and San Gabriel Valley, and that area, they run they run on their own when they go to jail with the Asians. What about Middle Eastern dudes, like uh, Islamic? Where, where, do they just, I, if I was them, I would just say I'm Mexican, right? They, I didn't run across it too many, you know, uh, Muslims or other than during Ramadan, you know, when some of the um, uh, the blacks are, are you know, convert to Islam and then they want their, they go through the Ramadan and um, that's the program that they run. But, you know, they're, Everyone kind of stays in their lane, you know, or whoever they sympathize with, or 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 brother. To be honest with you, they're looking for protection from the Hispanics, from other gangs or other other inmates. So a lot of them seek protection from the Hispanics, and and then they get they don't get fucked with. Nice. It's interesting how that works. Nice. So um, you got in. You know, you're you're a sheriff now. You're in prison now. When you got out of the jails. Uh, you just started working the street. You you did a little undercover work or something, correct? Yeah, yeah, I did. Fourteen years of my career was undercover. Can you can you talk a little bit about that, or is that too crazy? Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of things that um, I could talk about, and there's things that I cannot because we're still using a lot of those techniques today, and I won't I won't disclose that. But the true story about my mustache and the you know and my facial hair was because I was working undercover. It wasn't something that I just wanted to grow or whatever. I just didn't like shaving and I let it grow and it grew into this, but I was working undercover, um, deep undercover, about as deep as you can possibly go within, within, um, within my profession. So like, um, you know, for many years, you know, I had different, I had a different identity. I was Michael Franco and I was a, I was actually a hitman. And that was my real, that was my, my story when I worked undercover, you know, and depending So you weren't actually a hitman. That was your, your cover story. That was my cover story. Yeah. You were a hitman for like, um, some, I was a hitman. It depends on what kind of, what kind of project we had, what kind of, um, you know, um, if I was going to do a murder for hire, which is what I was contracted for. It was like, for example, um, one of them, one of the ones that I did, and this one I can't talk about because the case has been done and it's been adjudicated and sent and sent down the road, was um, it was for the cartel. And so there was a lady who introduced us. 
she had a she knew somebody who was looking for a hitman, but she was an informant with us, with the sheriff's department or with the feds, right? She was she worked with she was a mercenary, basically. She worked with whoever, you know, would 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 you know pay her. She she would get money and pay her and and that's just kind of how she rolled. So that case was brought to our attention because of her. So she said that there's a guy who was her source of supply, who was her contact for dope in Sinaloa that wanted somebody taken out. So, you know, we cooperated everything and, and the guy was persistent. So therefore it turned into an operation. I got called to do that case. And, and uh, if I wanted to do it, I said, yeah, I'll do it. So this is how the scenario went. We actually met in the city of Paramount. You and this lady. Me, this lady, and the person who wanted that person to be killed. The the, the yes. guy who, who was the So someone someone was looking for a hitman to kill someone and he was asking this female informant of yours, correct? Of ours. Uh, she wasn't yes. my informant, but yeah, yeah, of the, ours. Of okay. the sheriff's so she said, okay, she's she's so she's going to basically set him up and get you to pose as the hitman? Absolutely. Yeah, that okay. was that was exactly it. Let's hear it. Let's hear the story. So this lady who who I had already talked to and I got all the information. I was wired. And um it was funny because in the interim, before even leading up to it, this guy was a big this guy was a, a a, a, a shot caller. This guy was the real deal. He was a fool. Um, and um, so before we even met, we met at at a um, on Paramount and Somerset. That's at a Starbucks in the city of Paramount. And, um, and we met in a little courtyard area there. Prior to me even getting there, the suspect, the guy who, who wanted a contract, a hitman had his counter surveillance looking for cops, looking for everything. Cause he was about to land. He was about to get there. Yeah. So this dude had counter surveillance to our counter surveillance. We had some undercovers to protect me in the Starbucks acting like couples, you know, and other people in the courtyard in case it got, it got crazy. Um, and therefore then from there, he came into suburban exited his car he had some of his people with him and the lady introduced me to him and it was all in Spanish and said that, uh, and I was big Weddle. I was my, my, I was always big Weddle from, um, you know, from East Los Angeles, from East LA. And, um, and, um, so the introduction was made between me and the customer, which is the guy who wanted somebody killed and said, Hey, this is, this is big Weddle. This is a Weddle. You know, it's just, this is the guy I was talking about. You know, he's been good to me. He'll be good to you. You know, I just want to make the introduction. And Eddie, I, I, got, I got goosebumps on it because th this dude was a little fucker. He wasn't big at all. He was a small dude. He wasn't big at all. No, he wasn't wasn't big. He was like maybe like 5'2", if that. I want that upper body clench. That's what I'm, I'm going after. With the underhook, looking for double underhooks. Fucking, that's a juicy ass clench. Though. Perfect double underhooks on your side, boom. That's all perfect. That's huge. In my game, for me, I'm like, I've got this motherfucker. First fight in Abu Dhabi 2003 against Gustavo Dantas. I got right in and got double 
perfect double underhooks. I'm like, oh my God, I had him in a lockdown, perfect double underhook, really quick. He just gave it to me, I'm like, and I was just sitting there going, oh my God, he just gave it to me. That was just off the front headlock, 100%, push into him, you wanna smash him, and then jump on that leg. You wanna rush him, so they don't have a, so they're off balance, you jump on that leg, try to, you hook that leg, you're gonna take their back and put them in the truck. Either one. Does that make sense? And, and um, you know, he looks at me and I can see some of the people that he was with, they all had guns, they're all packing. And uh, obviously I had my gun too. And, um, you know, I look at him and I'm in character. But I was so afraid. I was so scared, man. If anybody that has done undercover work and they tell you that they're not afraid and it's it's all glamorous and this and that, they're full of shit, bro, because I was scared shitless every time. Uh, you know, I was scared. But, you know, I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to see how deep I can go. And um, I get introduced and he sizes me up and I lock eyes with him. And that dude saw right through me. Like he had this, he was a killer. He was, he was, he scared the shit out of me. He, he saw right through my soul, dude. That's how evil this guy was. This is how hardcore he was. And he looks at me and I go, hey, que onda, mucho gusto, big güero, aquí del este, mucho gusto. Que onda, carnal, que quieres, que pedo traes. So I talked to him in Spanish. He looks at me and he goes, he goes, orale. Then he gets into his story. And then everybody gets excused so him and I can talk. But they're on the outskirts, you know. The lady, the one that did the intro, she took off. So me and this dude are talking, and then what crazy story is that this dude wanted his brother-in-law to be killed. And um, he was skimming off the top. They had a business dispute. It was, it was, it was uh, obviously it was it was drug-related, but his business was in Detroit, in Detroit, Michigan. And that's where he had his business and ran the operations from Sinaloa to, to Detroit. And um and it was his brother-in-law. And and why why I mean he's surrounded by these scary people. Why not just get one of them to kill his because brother? Because they're not. Because they're from Mexico. Or they're they're they were they were it would be it, easy to connect them. He wanted someone with no connection. He wanted somebody from here to get it done. And this lady here was a, was her confidant. They were they were tight, they were good, they done they do business together. So I was I was safe. And he just wanted to check me out and see what I was about. So he gets into his story that his brother-in-law is, is doing dirt. Um, you know, he's burning him. He's a piece of shit and, and that um, he needs to be dealt with. And, and so there he gets into his story that he's in Detroit and at, at a bar in Detroit. And I said, okay, that's, that's not a problem. I could do it. And he said, do you need, this is how he was checking to see if I was for real. He asked me, want me to get you a gun? Want me to get you this? And I said, I don't need you to get me anything. I'll do everything myself. They already knew that if they start bringing you stuff, then you're you're not a real professional. You know, yeah. this is doesn't work that way. Yeah, you're the guy doing everything. I'm calling the shots. You just tell me what you want, and I'm going to get it done. In addition to that, I'm going to tell you how do you want this person killed. This is what I asked him. How do you want this person killed? I'm going to put a bullet in his head. You want me to torture? If I torture him, it's going to cost you more. All these things that are more risky for me are going to cost you more. So wow, that's smart. That's, that's selling it. <laughs> so I said, so what do you want me to do? How do you want this thing to end? And he goes, you know what? Just put a bullet in him. I, I'm okay with that. 
It's all business. I go, and and as we were talking, he was opening up. He goes, and to kind of justify himself, he said, uh, he's fucking around on my sister. And that really pisses me off. Well, dude, all those fuckers do. You know what I mean? They all know what they're getting themselves into. You know, they got their main woman and they got other, you know, women involved. So that's how he was, you know, aparte de eso, trata mi, mi hermana bien mal y anda con otras viejas. So I was yeah. like, I said, that's, I don't care. You know, it's like, that's fine. How do you want me to do it? Don't, don't steer me away into that. What do you want done? So he said he had specific instructions, though, how, how he wanted it done. He goes, in the safe, in the bar, is our, our, uh, our paperwork for the bar that it's owned. Uh, before you kill him, I want him to sign over his business to me before you put a bullet in his head. And I said, okay. He goes, where is it? I goes, it's in the back. It's in the office. There's a safe. And I'll give you the information. He leaves at two o'clock or he stays after to lock it down. And there's usually nobody around. He stays there by himself or he'll sleep there. So gauge it out. He goes, I got all that. He goes, then he goes, how will I know that this job is complete? How will I know that you did your job before I pay you? And he said, um, I said, well, you're going to know that I did this job complete and the job is done when you see the coroner's office there. So have some of your people in the area, which I know you have distribution and stuff set up there. Have whoever you want, watch the location and you're going to see the, uh, the meat wagon come and they're going to, they're going to take the body out. It'll be dead. That's when you know it's going to be done complete. And then, and that I did my job. So he liked everything that I was putting down and uh, we negotiated a price and he said, he'd give me half of it up front and then half of it later. And, um, and, and all was, you were, you, you were wearing a wire, correct? Yeah, I was wired up. Uh -huh. So basically you just wanted everything, um, in that conversation. You just wanted him to basically incriminate himself in that conversation. There wasn't going to be like another day or it, that there was, was it. another day. There was, oh, there, there was, was. yeah, there, there was because we want to give them time to, if there's any remorse, he wants to back out. What he said was, you know what? Fuck it. I was mad. So we want to lock him into making sure that this person wants the act of murder to be completed. So oh, there, there is damn. intent. There is, is deliberate. There's malicious intent. There's all the things that are corpus delecti, which are the elements of a crime that we want to ensure before we file charges on this fool. Now, now, so there, there must have been cases, obviously, before where you, you did all this. You, someone, not you, but like some other undercover agent got like this confession of a, a, a um, you know, planning a murder. And then once they got to court, he's like, I was going to back out of it. I wanted to back out of it. I was, uh, you know, I felt bad. I was drunk. So that, so what you guys wanted away just to eliminate the possibility of, of him trying to claim that he wasn't going to go through with it. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. We want to make sure that, that he has remorse. He doesn't want to do it. He thought about it. So there's a time frame that we give them. How long know? is that? Uh, this was a week later. You had time okay. to think about it. So there was time. And in between, there was dialogue to make sure that, that it didn't go cold. It didn't go stale. And, um, you know, we met up and. and uh, you met and, up once and then you met up twice. Yeah, we met up twice. And then that was it. And that's when he, he was. How did the second. Out. What was the second um, meeting about? You wanted to meet again, like, what was it, just for him to give you the money? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that where he got busted right there? Or? That, was, that was it right there. Uh -huh. They just cops came out. Brrr, 
You're under no, arrest. We just, you know, there was money, there was money involved and, and there was a sign that we gave and then, you know, it was in a parking lot at, uh, at a Home Depot. And, oh, shit. And then that was it. So it was easy to, to get him out of there, you know? Wow. And where's this guy now? Is he still in jail? Yeah, he's in jail. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's scary, huh? He'll ne- Will he ever get out? Look, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's in there for a while, you know, and, you know. I mean, if anybody, he should be mad at the at the woman that set him up, right? He's, you know, I don't, it is what it is. Whoever he's mad at, whatever he did, you know, he, he did what he did and, and he got, um, you know, he got caught. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Scary shit. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. What, sure. what's, can you can you talk about like was that the scariest uh, um incident or was there even a scarier one that you could talk about um you know you and i have talked about it before but yeah there's deeper deeper stuff that um i've done that are about as deep as you can possibly go even further than that uh infiltrations and going super deep that i did and um but getting into that into the how I did it and how we did it. I, I can't, I won't do that because we're still using those techniques. Actually, I helped teach the undercover class, uh, how we do stuff. And, and, um, um, I, I to give up those techniques and it, it'll be, I would not do that to, uh, to my peers. Okay. 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 Yeah. But it's, 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 it's about as, about as deep as you can go with, 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 with a different identity for sure. Damn. So you don't do that anymore. You're done with undercover. No, no, I did it for 14 years, and I thought 14 years was enough. And um, you know, like I said, I was a, I was a single father uh, with full custody of my of my of my son, and um, I had a really big scare um, in the mall when I was when I, Mikey wanted uh, some vans, so I took him to Journeys, and we're at the Stonewood Shopping Center here in Downey, and there was a bunch of essays a bunch of cholos and with their cholas and they weren't MMA fans. They weren't, they were, they sized me up. They mad dog me. And, and I knew, I knew that I had, I got that sixth cent that it wasn't, this wasn't a nice thing. And I was with my boy. I, I'm, I'm always, I'm always, um, you know, carrying my, my, uh, my off duty gun or my, or my off duty weapon. And, um, I walked in there and we were in the mall and I went into, um, he went into um, journeys and I go, mijo, just go, go inside there, pick out your shoes. I'll, I'll, I go, uh, but I go, if something happens to your dad, you go to the security guard. That's right there. The security post right there. And I go, describe who your daddy, where your daddy looks like and tell him he's a police officer. He's one of the good guys. And that. Um, How old was Mikey at this point? I think Mikey was maybe 10 years old. Okay. Yeah. He was a, he was a, he was a young pup. And, um, and I go, Mijo, just, we've talked about this before, you know, and uh, he goes, no, dad, I'm staying with you. Well, cause my, Mikey wrestled. He's like, ah, dad, I, I got your back, dad. We'll, we'll kick their ass together. I go, I go, no, no, Mijo is just, thank you. But right now I want you to be smart and I want you to listen to me. Mijo. I want you to go to security. If you see stuff happening here, then, then describe your dad and call 911. He had a cell phone and describe what your daddy looks like and tell him that I'm a, a um, I'm an off-duty deputy sheriff, and please describe what your dad looks like so they know I'm the good guy, not one of the bad guys. And um, they were all congregating together in front of the journeys, and um, and Mikey took off, 
and he's shopping, but he's keeping an eye on me. And they were like in a group and they were with their highness, with their, with their cholas, with their girlfriends. So I knew that I could tell that some of them were on parole or, or, or they were parolees or they were hardcore fools. And, um, I know for a fact that the women are the ones that will carry the gun so they don't get the time because these the women have less criminal history records than they do in most in, in a lot of cases. So one thing that I did, I didn't want to show a sign of weakness or be afraid. So I walked right by them to go on their journeys to pay for my son's shoes. And I looked at them and I and and I I sized them up as well. And I said, oh, Gilna, what's up? We all good here? All right, homie. We straighten, right? And they knew that I wasn't scared, even though it deep down inside I was shitting a brick, you know, but I wanted to let them know that I'm not a punk and I'm not weak and I'm not afraid because then, then they'll jump on fear right away, you know, is the mindset that I had. And I walked in and I paid and then, and, and they, they were looking at me and for the grace of God, you know, and everything else for just, it wasn't my time, you know, and, I know that they weren't going to do anything in the mall, or at least I thought, you know, it's a big, it's a bold move to take out a cop, number one, but you have to do it in a public place where there's cameras and everything, you're screwed. So I had that at least to go off of. And, and I appreciate think You think they recognized you? Yeah. You they, think they, they knew you were a cop? I'm almost positive that they, that they recognized me from a court case that I testified in uh, on, 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 on an undercover job that I did. Yeah. So, um, I'm almost positive for sure. Damn. And, um, so that happened. And then, um, you know, I, I take off and, um, they follow behind me slowly. And that's when I told Mikey, all right, when it comes down, you separate from me, you know, you separate and you run. And, um, they, they were behind me and then they thought about it and they stopped and I walked around the mall. I went through JC Penney's and other areas to see if they were still following me. I got in my car and I took off, and and that was probably like the like the like at that point there. I had I had already on a had already gone on a good run of doing this, um, and um, you know it's an honorable thing. You know I think it, I think I would still do what I I still wouldn't change anything. I would still do what I have done, and 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 I know I put a lot of evil people that, that really needed to be behind bars, the, the right people, you know, that were doing evil stuff. And, and, uh, um, I don't regret it, but that was, that was a sign for me to, 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 uh, to pull the trigger and, and get out and, and no longer do that undercover stuff anymore. Shit, man. So, so yeah. Uh, okay. That's, uh, you don't need to, you don't need to, um, we don't need to hear any more undercover stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, that's scary shit. So at that point, you were like, "Okay, I I gotta, I gotta get out of this. I've done enough." Now, now let's go over um, how you got into jujitsu and how you got into refing in yeah. uh, MMA. Let's go through that now. Yeah, you know, um, the first thing I told you, I boxed first when I was a kid. Yes, I was boxed since I was ten years old, and then I went through the progression of that, and. Um, a good friend of mine, rest in peace, Joe Camacho. You know, I know he, Joe Camacho. Yeah, and that was my best, one of my closest best friends that I had. We grew up to, we grew up together in East Los Angeles, you know, and he was the first black belt in East Los Angeles in East LA, and he was a jujitsu practitioner. And he would tell me, um, 
And Joe would tell me, he goes, he goes, hey, Mike, you got to do this stuff. It's called jujitsu. It's magic. What year it's, was this? Whoa, 02. But he had told me before that. Okay. He had told me before that when I was working in jails, you know, he had told me like that. He had told me that like in 98. You yeah, know? I actually, uh, Joe Camacho, I actually um, competed against him. He was one of my, you know, we were, we weren't, we were friendly, but he was like one of my jujitsu rivals at Purple Belt. And um, and he also fought in uh, in King of the Cage while I commentated for King of the yeah, Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saboba, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Saboba, dog. That's Saboba, so, dude. So he's trying to convince you to do jujitsu uh, for for your uh, for your career. Yeah, he 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 had told me when I worked the jails, and I was a big kid, you know, about two forty, two fifty at the time in the jails, working out every day. We used to be able to work out on duty in the jails. And uh, I was a big kid, and um, he goes, he, you know, he was such a sincere guy. He, he was just a just a just a heart of gold. He goes, he goes, he goes, hey, you know, um, he goes, I, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want anything to to, to happen to you. I want you to be um, to be safe, and 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 I want you to to learn th this thing called jujitsu, and and it, it came from Brazil. And there's this like 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 um, there's this guy named Hoist Gracie. And he's doing magical stuff and he's choking people out. And, and it's, he's going up against guys that are like immensely bigger than him. And, and I want you to learn, why don't you come with me? And I, and I would blow him off. I was so, um, you know, just a dumbass. And go, no, I don't want some, I don't want to roll around with another dude. It's not about me. That's not, I, if I can't knock you out, uh, that, then I should, I shouldn't, you know, I deserve to get my ass. I was just that stupid and ignorant about the sport and um and um i blew him off and he goes i'm gonna pick you up and he came by and he picked me up at my house and he goes dude because i love you i want you to learn this thing I, I want you to be safe i want you to learn a different way that you can you can do your job that doesn't look as aggressive by learning to train i'm eddie bravo founder of 10th planet jiu-jitsu with over 150 schools and over 30,000 soldiers worldwide. Music has always been my deepest passion. Without that musical journey that I took, uh, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I can't tell my music story without having my uh, musical partner, my whole life and best friend, Mr. James Watson. I said, I want to be in a band no matter what. Oh. Well, there it is. I got to move to Los Angeles. I said, I got to go to that place. If this California is supporting metal. Me and James just started making music. Mastering the Metal, the story of James Watson and Eddie Bravo. Print and audiobook available now. So... He picks me up and he takes me to the school that I'm at, which is New Breed Academy with, with uh, Johnny Ramirez and John Owano at the time. And, um, and, and I go on an open mat and he goes, all right, man, I want you to roll with me, man. I go roll. I didn't have, I didn't know what rolling meant or nothing. He goes, he goes, just come at me and, 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 and try and take me down and we'll see what happens. But Joe tossed me up, did all kinds of God awful things to me, you know, Uma Plata, me at armbar triangle, he really, he really, he really took it to me. And I got busted down to rolling with everybody there 
and I looked for white belts, but all the white belts were good. And then they go, hey, roll with this kid. His name is Noah Tillis. At Attila's I know Noah Tillis. I little know Noah, him. yeah, dude. He was trained. He was at Newbury. He was 12 years old at the time. He goes, he goes, just roll with this kid. And I was so embarrassed and just like dejected. Like, fuck, dude. I'm rolling with this kid. And this kid starts climbing all over me. And I was like, no. And the only thing that kept him down was my man strength and my weight. And I just held him. And and uh, Noah Tillis, he's got a school now, Tillis Jiu-Jitsu in Whittier. Such a good kid. And and and, and at that point there, uh, at that point there, Eddie, I just realized, I realized, and Joe looks at me, he's like, he goes, this is what I'm talking about. How do you feel? And I go, I had my head down and I was embarrassed. I go, all along, I've been working this job. I was young and looking at things the wrong way ignorantly when there's other many ways to skin a cat and this jujitsu stuff is magic. This is magical stuff. This is amazing. And I said, um, so I had, I had choices to make number one, stick to this and learn it Two, walk out of new breed. And hopefully nobody ever remembers me and the punking and the ass whooping I took or do something about it. And the rest is history. I was hooked. And that was it. And I was, I was so humiliated and so embarrassed that at any given time, some dude that weighs half the size that I did could do all those god-awful things to me and take my gun and kill me and keep me away from my family or hurt me, which is why I'm such a big, I push jujitsu and mixed martial arts training and being healthy and being fit in law enforcement because you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't train. If you don't train, then what good are you going to be to your partners or to yourself? And you and you need to invest in yourself. By you can go partying and go buy drinks and everything else, but yet you don't want to take the time for yourself to train and learn a perishable skill like jujitsu that's going to save your life. It, it's yeah. it's black and white if you're a cop, which is why, you know, my social media I post up stuff about law enforcement and everything else. And you and I talk about it a lot. You know, we get in depth about it. How cops need to train. Hey, you even did a you even did a seminar. For us at the sheriff academy, you and yeah. and your all your your badass black belts. And yeah, it should be required. I mean, yeah. as a cop, as a sheriff, security guard, private security, dude. Not and and it's not even just you know to learn how to put people to sleep or break their limbs. You don't even need to do that. It's the art of just holding them inside control and controlling their wrist, holding them in the mount, not even hurting them or finishing them, but just subduing them until like law enforcement shows up. Or, you know, if you are law enforcement, subdue them, cuff them, arrest them. It's a no brainer. And uh, there's a, a world of difference between people that train jujitsu and people that don't train, like people that don't train and they get on the ground in a little scuffle on the ground and they start rolling around in a scramble. If you've never done jujitsu, like 99.99999% of the world, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You know, jujitsu, it's again, the, the, the ability to put someone to sleep or break their limbs, break their legs, arms. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Cause sometimes you, 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 you might need a, uh, put someone out you know and get the yeah. fuck out you know for your safety but really most of the time you just want to knee on the belly control the wrist mount that's such an art in itself and it's hard to see you know to the untrained eye 
like someone controlling someone in side control or knee on the belly or in the mount or just like back mount. Uh, that's such a, a a delicate art that needs to be absolutely mastered and polished. And just that you don't even need to learn any submissions and just the control and staying on top. Or if you end up on your back, knowing how to put someone in your guard and hold them and, and stay safe. You know what I mean? Um, anybody could learn that. I mean, anybody you don't have to have special alien dna to learn jiu-jitsu anybody can learn it the reason why m most of the world doesn't train jiu-jitsu and even even with um, jiu-jitsu so so huge because look at the ufc the ufc is huge and jiu-jitsu is a big part of the ufc but still hardly nobody trains still yeah. everybody should train everybody uh, but a small tiny fraction of the world does and it's because of the feelings you felt when you went in and you got thrashed, uh, yeah. you were right. You were like that feeling. Uh, you were right there. Um, like halfway between feeling like the whole world and then a little bit, you know, um, you felt like, um, like the people that stay, the people that stay don't necessarily feel like you did. They'll get thrashed. But like me, when I got thrashed, everyone gets thrashed their first day. When I did, I, I tapped like 27 times. I, I, it could have been more or less. I don't know. But I always say 27. That number just sticks in, uh, in my head. But it was, I know the guy who did it, David Meyer. He was a purple belt. And um, I didn't feel, uh, maybe I did feel humiliated a little bit. But what was way stronger was the feeling that I can do this to someone walking in off the streets. And I knew most of the world would be walking in off the streets. So my first goal was like, dude, I just want to do what that guy did to me. I want to be able to, my first goal was to be able to run a clinic on a guy's first day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it was like, I, I couldn't imagine running a clinic on someone that's been training for a while. I go, that's not going to happen. But you yeah. know, guys that don't know anything, like I came in and I wrestled two years and I still got fucked up. You know, I got, you know, uh, I didn't know what the fuck to do with the gi. I had a gi on. And, um, but yeah, uh, cops, a hundred percent of cops should be it's, doing it's, uh, I, I, I agree with you. And, and I remember when I asked you to come to the uh, Sheriff Academy and, and all our force training staff there was, they put it out to all the agencies, the LAPD, sheriffs, all of us to come. And, and cause you were going to be there. It was huge. And, to be honest, I mean, we did have a good crowd. We did have a a, a a a good amount of folks, you know, to come on there and train with us. But I couldn't convince anybody. Nobody joined jujitsu after that. I was trying to convince everybody, but like this guy, this guy's crazy. He thinks the earth's flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, exactly. You are nutty about that. That's another story. <laughs> but it um, is flat, by the way. It oh, okay. Sure. Eventually, eventually, everyone's gonna find out. <laughs> You know what I mean? Eventually. I mean, it, it's going to take a while, but the truth, eventually, the truth eventually comes out. We're in a wild life reserve, dog. We're, <laughs> Dude, we'll, get, not, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> we're not spinning on a fucking ball. You think you're spinning 600 miles, uh, 600,000 miles an hour? Do you know how fast 600,000 miles is an hour? 600,000 miles per hour. That's got to be super fast. Yeah. Dude. That's insane. A bullet, a bullet goes like what? I don't know, 800 miles an hour, 1,000 miles an hour, or something like that. Think about six. That's what NASA's telling you. NASA. NASA's telling you that we're spinning. Not only are we spinning 600,000 miles an hour one way, but we're also in another way. 
according to NASA, spinning 60,000 miles, approximately 60,000 miles an hour, another way, a totally different way, and then uh, 1,000 miles an hour on our own axis, yet we're completely still. People believe it. They believe it. We're completely still. And they say, you know what? We're, we're spinning 600,000 miles an hour one way, 60,000 miles, 60,000. Another way. We're spinning four different ways. We're spinning four different ways. And we can't feel shit. We're still as fuck. We're in, we're in like some gigantic lake surrounded by ice, dog. And they got everyone thinking we live on this, on this. That's what they got everyone thinking. They got everyone thinking we're on a fucking ball, dude. And I didn't even mention the million miles an hour that we're spinning in another way, too. That's just so ridiculous. That's, that's according to NASA. We're spinning 1,000 miles an hour on our own axis, 1,000 miles an hour, uh, 600,000. And then the Earth is going 60,000 miles an hour around the sun. And then the sun is spinning 600,000 miles an hour around the center of the Milky Way. And then the whole Milky Way galaxy is spinning a million miles an hour. Wow. How dumb do you have to be to believe that shit? That's the dumbest shit ever. It's the most ridiculous shit. But they got everybody because they get everyone young. They get everybody on space young, dog. They got, oh, you're on a ball. You ain't going to, you're insignificant. You're on a fucking ball. Meanwhile, we're in a, like some kind of realm we're in a the stars are real close the sun real close the moon real close the moon is its own light that's obvious look at the fucking moon see the moon last night that shit was bright as fuck glowing glowing they go oh no that's the light reflecting from the sun reflected light doesn't glow off dirt and dust what is the fucking moon made of mirror is it made of fucking uh a crystal um anyways Enough of that. Now, you're, you're into jujitsu. You love jujitsu. How did that, did Joe Camacho have anything to do with you becoming an, an MMA ref? It was actually, yeah, Joe Camacho. and He got you in with King of the Cage. Is that how you knew Terry from King of the Cage? No, well, I, I knew of King of the Cage because of, of um, it's funny because, um, you know, I, I got started with, with uh, I got licensed in California in 2007 to be an official. And then it, it went from there. But um, Joe Camacho was just a very big, influential, um, you know, part of my life that helped me get in, get into the sport. And and so did um, Charlie Valencia. Charlie Valencia is my best yes. friend. After him and I are very close. And um, they were the guys that I really confide in, 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 in officiating and breaking down questions to them. And and um, I would go see Joe fight at King of the Cage. Herb Dean. I walked out with Herb Dean when he fought in King of the Cage back in the day. And, um, you know, and uh, uh, Larry Landless. So I got, I got, I got in licensed in 07. And then I started doing fights in California, regional shows. And I refereed the first time for King of the Cage and Terry Trevilcock, um, who's, who's, you know, I thank him tremendously for the opportunity he gave me. He believed in me and brought me on the road to take over after her. Who, who was doing all the big you know shows in the UFC and I was an up and comer. So a lot of my experience I got was because of King of the Cage. For- Hell yeah, that's hey yeah. Terry he he gave me a shot him and Bud Brutzman who was a co-producer in King of the Cage. Terry owned it and Bud came in to produce it for pay-per-view. That's what yeah. they, we did a couple shows too. Yeah. Uh, there've been a couple yeah, a few of them. Um 
uh, my they brought me in to commentate, <laughs> and and I, I said a lot of stupid shit, man. I I like made it uh, a point that at least every show I think I did like fifteen King of the Cages, but every show I wanted to say you know something insane, and <laughs> and uh, the director. He didn't like it. There was a director and he hated the shit I was saying. He goes, please don't say that stupid shit no more. And, um, and, but Terry loved the stupid shit. <laughs> yeah, Terry loved it. Terry would love it. And I remember we were at, um, at, uh, Bud's wedding in Hawaii. And, uh, he was the co, the co-producer of King of the Cage. And we were all there. The director was there. Terry was there. Um, uh, Jean-Jacques was there too, because Jean-Jacques was really uh, yeah. close friends with Bud. And we were sitting there at a table drinking or by the beach. And the director was just like, he just couldn't, he was just trying to convince me to please, your commentators don't say stupid shit like that. And and uh, but Terry would go, no, don't listen to him. The owner of the show was telling his employee, the director, who was trying to direct me into being straight and not saying stupid shit. Terry's going, no, I love that stuff. And they'd be quoting it and laughing. <laughs> Terry loved it. Terry's a great person. <laughs> but, but in all honesty, I sucked as a commentator. I did, especially back then. Now I could kind of pull it off. You know what I mean? Now I've, I've had a, a lot of experience teaching and uh, speaking in public so i could pull off a commentating gig every now and then but that's not that's not me for real but in the beginning in 2000 shit the only public speaking experience i had was a strip club you know what i mean <laughs> all right guys put those hands together for, oh, there, there i am right there look you at know. that handsome kid <laughs> look at that hair yeah you got Man, i was trying hair. to be this was see i worked for the ufc after king of the cage so i did uh I did King of the Cage, like I said, like maybe 15 shows. And then Joe started working for the UFC and Joe got me in. He, he got me hired at the UFC. He asked Dana to hire me. And um, uh, so I started working for the UFC, quit King of the Cage. Um, and uh, then I quit the UFC. <laughs> I did like, I worked for the UFC like eight years. But um, that's where we met. We met at the pond yeah it was uh it was uh junior dos santos and kane velasquez correct yeah yeah remember that shit? yeah i remember that dude i remember you someone someone introduced us someone said hey this is mike beltran he wanted to meet you like I, maybe it was herb or somebody i think, I think it was her i think it was yeah. her yeah, yeah yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah yeah i met you for the first time and i met joe at the, for the you guys were sitting down and then you guys were eating yeah, and I went yeah. into the area to eat, and I guess I wasn't. You weren't supposed to eat there for us. And you had know. you hadn't you hadn't ref a UFC at all. You were just there as I a, was a judge. You I were a judge. judge for that. I was a judge that night. Yeah. Do you yeah, remember the fights you judged that night? Yeah. I don't remember. remember. No, I don't remember. I just remember. Um, yeah, I had a I had a nasty ass pinstripe cholo suit that i wore that night that's all i remember your that beard was wasn't as long your beard was only like up to here yeah it was it was junior varsity status back then <laughs> <laughs> what was the craziest fight that you ever reffed where it was just insane like like the mass brutality or or anything crazy controversial oh. 
off the top of your head? I think an insane fight was 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 very um, a lot going on was um, the Luke Rockhold fight and um, gosh um, his last fight. Yeah, and and um, Paula Costa, Paula Costa and Luke Rockhold. That was an interesting fight for sure. It was a lot. Yeah, is that the one where Luke Rockhold? It, it looked like like he gassed or something, or he got hit in the ribs, or something happened. Like he had a body shot, and it looked like something. What was weird about it? It was just a competitive fight, but he was tired, and it was just a. They were both going at it. There was some fouls involved, and and then and, and, and then. Uh, what were the fouls? Uh, low blows. So, you know, there was some low blows, and it was just a lot going on, and there was blood and. And Luke Rockhold was 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 they were both going at it. And it was just a very it was a lot going on in that fight. It was interesting. It was a good fight. And how did it end? I forget. Oh, uh, Paul Acosta won the fight. But a it decision, was very, right? Was it a decision? Yeah, it was a decision, but it was a very interesting fight and there was a lot going on. So yeah, that was that was an interesting fight for sure. There was just a lot going on. They both they both gave it all they got and and um it was just a very interesting fight for sure. Yeah, I remember thinking, I got I'd have to see that fight again, but um the little memories I have of it, it looked like Paula Costa was uh, wearing him down early in the fight and then like midway through the fight, Luke Rockhold looked gassed, but then he kept coming back and he didn't quit, right? He just kept moving forward, correct? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, that's exactly that It was, did not look like it was going to go the full fight. Was it 3 rounds? Yeah. Yeah, it was 3 rounds, yeah. But, you know, um, you know, Luke, now that he's retired, you know, I can, I can, I can talk about it, but it was just a, he was, that guy was just, didn't quit. There was no quitting him, man. And, and, uh, it was a very entertaining fight, you know, and, um, they both brought it. It was entertaining for everybody. Um, I had my hands full in that fight and, um, you know, um, it, it was a very memorable fight for me for sure. You know, and uh, they, they, those guys just went toe to toe. It was nuts. I think Luke Rockhold is doing bare knuckle, right? Yeah, I read that. Yeah. Can we can we look that up? Luke Rockhold uh, bare knuckle. Ooh. Um, what do you think about the bare knuckle league? All I've seen is like stuff like clips on Instagram. I haven't actually ordered one or watched like a whole event, but I mean, they're getting bigger and bigger fighters and. It's a legit way to um, end your career, right? As far as not in a bad way, but uh, after you retire from the UFC, you can make some money doing bare knuckle. It seems like a lot of guys are doing that. And the bigger names they get, man, that's, that's pretty fucking interesting. Bare knuckle, dude? How crazy is that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting it's, bigger and bigger. Their Instagram has like over a million followers now. That's huge. Yeah, you know, it's it's something for for other, you know, it's an alternative for fighters that are moving on and and either they're retiring or they want to do something different, you know, and and it gives them an opportunity and you know, um yeah, it's it's a uh, it's definitely is definitely definitely entertaining to watch for sure. Yeah, on paper. On paper. This is way better than boxing. Right? On paper. Yeah. With just like the science. There's no yeah. gloves. Yeah, bare knuckle, much, right? bare knuckle on paper, thinking logically, critically, bare knuckle is better than punching with big ass pillows on your 
That's a that's it's it's pillow fights are closer. Boxing's closer to pillow fights than bare knuckle is. Do you understand? I think that they both have their 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 uh, their place. You know what I'm saying? It's no, uh, I'd rather watch boxing. Boxing's got you know, Floyd yeah. Mayweather, you know, Tyson Fury, the Bronx Bomber, all that shit, or, I, I, for sure. But once they get bigger names and not just UFC fighters on their way out, once they get like like huge huge names, man. I think there's, I mean, on paper, this should take over boxing, right? You know, then eventually, you know, uh, the WBC champions are going to get called out by these guys. They're going to like, come on, let's fight bare knuckle. There's got to be some crossover. Like, who knows? Maybe, maybe uh, Ryan Garcia, that's his name, right? That Mexican young kid who's ki- yeah, kicking everyone's yeah. ass. He might end up in bare knuckle. You never know. And I, I don't know if they have... If they've had, um, I wonder who the biggest name boxer they've had because they have a, a shitload of MMA guys. But do, have they been able to attract any big name boxers? I don't know. You know what? I, I don't. I don't really. Um, I haven't seen any event yet completed. You know, for bare knuckle boxing, I've seen some of the highlights, and um, you know, it's 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 definitely growing for sure. You know, but like everything else, you know, it's it's it's. Um, the combat sport as long as it's regulated how it's supposed to be regulated and and um and they, they keep it safe for these guys you know it's 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 you know as long as it's safe it's good you know and and uh but um there's an argument for the safety right say since there's no pads that don't hit as hard so there's less of a concussion isn't that what they say you know what i haven't read anything about it I just know it's pretty barbaric man yeah. they they, they, and you know what if there wasn't bare knuckle if there wasn't or because of the popularity of bare knuckle boxing is getting now we might go back to old school mma if we accept bare knuckle boxing then bare knuckle mma like you know how could you say anything negative about that right so uh because of this the success of bare knuckle boxing there's a chance that there's going to be a new mma organization an american one not a just a Brazilian one, because I think in Brazil, maybe they still do that a little bit, uh, a Valley Tudo style old school. But man, that that's um, there's a I, there's I an opportunity. There's an opportunity for you don't think that'll happen? <laughs> no. I mean, they're they're allowing bare knuckle b- uh, boxing. Yeah. Why, why I mean, not bare any, knuckle MMA? Anything is possible, but I don't see that ever happening. Not here. I see it. I see it. I really do. Yeah, <laughs> never say never, but I, I, I don't see that being regulated. You know? <laughs> I just think it's, it's not going to happen. This is we got our hands full enough with 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 this with MMA already. Now it's just you know. And how did they? How did Bare Knuckle get sanctioned? I don't know anything about how they got sanctioned or what. I don't. I don't know. Maybe they're on Indian reservations. I have no idea. I have. I have no idea. I just. I know that they're 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 based in Florida, but I don't know. I don't know, and you know enough to to comment on it or say anything about it. You know what I mean? I just know it's it gives an opportunity for other fighters, just kind of generic stuff that that it helps you know guys who want to continue or do something different and and a different platform. You know, and and uh, and fighters are making money off of it. Then you know what's in the best interest for them, and and as long as it's regulated safely, then it's and you know people are going to do it. But I, I don't know, like I don't know the ins and outs of it. You know, to say anything about it. Okay. Okay. That's very smart. <laughs> um, talk about your transition into acting. 
You've been on uh, Mayans, correct? You were on how many seasons of Mayans? And let's find a clip of him, uh, Mike Beltran on Mayans. Um, what, what, what should he look up, Mike? What's the best clip? Your favorite clip? Um, you what? know what? I was in two seasons of Mayans, and I was Presidente Ibarra from Mayans. Presidente Ibarra? Yeah, yeah. Is that and, with a Y? Uh, say again. How do you spell Ibarra with a Y? Ibarra, I B A. Okay. A R R A Ibarra. Yeah. How did you get hooked up with that? Oh shit! Hold on. Let's watch it. Position's been fucked. A bishop wants what we all want now. Peace. And everything that's gone down. We forgive each other's trespasses and move forward. Getting something? Yeah, and you knew it once. Once he said you forgot this shit. Oh, you knew you were dead, right? At yeah, it was a buildup. It was a buildup to that. I got I got my cut taken from me, and uh, um, you know, my character was it was a it was a fun character for sure. He was a Ibarra was 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 down for the for his for the cause, and he was after, he definitely looked after his troops, his his guys, and um, you know, he, he stood for what's right. And um, are they going to bring you back for like maybe flashback scenes or whatever? They're filming right now. This is the last season. That's it. But I did two seasons on Mayans, and then I was a technical advisor and consultant for the show. So um, it opened the doors for different stuff, and a lot of the a lot of the, the stories that went on. Like last season, there was an undercover part that was in there, and that was that was a part that I helped them out with the show on. So it opened the doors for a lot of different things for sure. But um, they were very good to me. I got I got into acting. Actually, when I got into acting. I figured if I can do undercover work where there are no cuts or are no takes. And if, you know, if you get discovered, you're fucked and you're dead, you know, at least in acting, you know, you can always do a retake. Yeah. And uh, so I was in character doing it for, for 14 years of my career. So I figured I, I can transition into that and, and, uh, and embrace the, uh, you know, the arts of, uh, of acting. So I took acting classes. I actually had a, an acting coach, which was, who was amazing. And, um, um, I dove into it like I don't do anything half-ass. I went all out. I studied it and 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 learned my lines and and practiced and practiced until you know, I mean, until until I got killed. <laughs> I got Damn. killed big time. I got taken out, dirty dude. 
So what's going on now? What 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 are you thinking about? What are you most passionate about right now? MMA. I love MMA. I love MMA. I love everything about MMA. You know, um, you know, I love the sport. Um, you know, I can't wait to get back to refereeing. You know, and um, I love um, as far as sports goes. MMA, obviously, my family. You know, which is my number one priority is my family. You know, but uh, uh, passionate about it. Something I really love is is MMA. You know, and jujitsu. I really love um, the direction MMA is going. It's 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 taken off, and uh, it, just these fighters are just extreme hybrids now. They're all you have to keep up with the sport, and um, I'm also a huge you know passionate about combat jujitsu in the direction that's going as well. So I think it's a lot of a lot of, a lot of goods coming out of that, and and it's 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 interesting, it's fun, you know, and get to see amazing talent transition. You know, if they want to get into MMA, this is a a a way to test the waters and then you can get into amateur fight and then start from there, you know, but, um, it's definitely, it's definitely very interesting. And I, I love, I love both of them. Anything that has to do with combat sports. I'm, I'm all about. Yeah, man. I love having you there too, man. Um, you, you've missed the last couple combat jujitsu shows I've thrown. Uh, you had, uh, how do you say that? Diverticulitis? How do you say Diverticulitis. That? diverticulitis and that's that thing that brock lesnar had correct yeah yeah that's what i'm and recovering what is it right and and what do you have any advice it's something with your intestine you could explain it but yeah. um uh, go ahead yeah um you know i was diagnosed with diverticulitis in 07 and um that was a that was a while ago um it's stress induced it could be from you know the food you eat um, you can eat a seed that could get, gets caught in your intestinal tract in the pockets and it infects, and then it causes sepsis and a rupture in your stomach. But mine was initially from stress in 07 when I was going through my divorce and working undercover at the same time at work. Um, but I went into remission when I was first diagnosed, I was hospitalized. Then fast forward of March of last year, I got sick again and I didn't know what it was. Cause I had, I haven't, I thought it went away, you know? I got, I was, you know, I had a rupture in my stomach and, you know, we and I talked about it in March and that set me back. I was hospitalized. The antibiotics worked and uh, I was full sepsis. And I was, if I had shown up later in the hospital, I would have, I would have died. So I made it, you know, everything worked out. I was good. And then I was in Texas with you and I said, you're the one that I was, Dude, I was so thankful for the fact that you even answered the phone when I was in so much pain when you came up to my room when I was I wasn't feeling well. Um, we did the combat jujitsu on on Saturday, and then there was EBI on Sunday in El Paso, and I wasn't feeling good that Sunday. You know, we did we did the show. You guys, you and Victor refereed most of the the, the, the matches. I did a few, and. You know, I went straight to my room. Normally, we have a couple of cocktails and hang out and, and and then call it a night. I went straight to my room. I wasn't feeling well, and I was in so much pain. And um, I was like, I didn't know. I knew that something was wrong with me, and I was. I got up to go to the restroom. I was paralyzed in bed. I was like, dude, I I I, I couldn't move. Something was wrong. I knew it was. I was in so much pain, and that's when I realized I it was my stomach again, and and now nothing is working now. It's something significant. And I called you 
you're the first person I called. And um, you answered your phone. It was early in the morning because we were supposed to catch a, a flight to go home. And I was like, dude, you picked up the phone. I was like, oh, dude, I've been, Eddie, I'm not feeling well. And you came up and you helped me with my bags and you were going to call 911 for me. And, um, and we called Victor to come pick me up to take me to the hospital. He was running behind. You helped me with my bags and everything. And you wanted to call the hospital. You wanted to call an ambulance. And I said, no, don't do it, dude. I'll just, I'll catch an Uber and, and uh, go to the hospital myself. And uh, I did. I got to the hospital and, um, you know, I had three ruptures in that whole time span. I was hospitalized for about a month and a half um, until I had emergency surgery. I left El Paso, came home to L.A., and I had two other ruptures, you know, in and out of the hospital until finally they had to do emergency surgery. And I had part of my colon taken out. And um, I'm recovering right now. That's why I'm not refereeing or at work or well, I've just been recovering from it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm feeling a lot better. Got my, I lost 60 pounds, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was pretty bad and, uh, you know, put my weight back on. I'm, I'm able to walk now. I had to learn to rewalk again. So I got to, um, you know, I'm up to walking eight miles. You know, we talk all the time. So I'm up to walking my dog, you know, walk him a lot and, uh, work out slight. I just got the green light to work out with weights a little bit and, uh, I can actually start swimming again. So I'm back on, I'm back on a program now. So, you know, the worst is over and, uh, you know, things could be a hell of a lot worse, man. I'm just, I'm just fortunate and blessed to be still here. And, and, um, you know, you know, there's a, there's a reason why I'm here and, 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 uh, you know, for me, God's not done with me yet. There's, 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 there's a hell of a lot more to do and, and to be here for. And I'm, I'm grateful and happy that, that, uh, I'm still here and, 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 uh, still here to do a lot of good in this place here, you know? So that's when, are, when are you going to be able to come back and do some combat jujitsu? We got a big, we got two, we got a Medusa. <laughs> By the time this show comes out, it would, it would, it's going to be gone, uh, but we're going to do Medusa the 25th of March yeah. in a couple weeks. And then combat jujitsu worlds, the welterweights. It's going to be a crazy weekend. Yeah, uh, I wish you could be there, man. Damn. Uh, we're going to do it back. in Playa, Playa del Carmen this time. A new yeah. spot. I'll be back. I will in here. I'll be back in um, September, early September. Um, that's, that's, you know, maybe even sooner. It depends on how I feel, you know, but I am healing. I am feeling a, a whole lot better, um, you know, and, and I'm definitely going in the right direction. You know, I feel it. And um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm healing and I just need time to, you know, for the incision and everything to settle in right in my stomach because they took out, they, 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 they gut you, they take out your stomach, put it on the table there, and then they, they, they cut your, my colon, put everything, sew everything back together and then dump your stomach back in there. So all that has to settle. So, excuse me. So, you know, it was, it was a major surgery. It was a major procedure, but you know, like anything else in life, man, there's things can be a hell of a lot worse than what I have. And, and I'm good. And, I'm, 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 I got a good attitude about everything and, you know, less still laughing at myself, you know, and clowning myself. So can't laugh at yourself. Who the hell can you laugh at? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, who are you going to vote for Biden or Trump? Oh, it's a no brainer, bro. It's a no brainer, <laughs> bro. Come on now. Dude. Yeah. 
it's just oh, no brainer. You know what? It doesn't look like it doesn't look like he's gonna run. It looks like they might put Michelle Obama in. They're already talking about. <laughs> it. Dude, that's what they're saying, dog. <laughs> Seriously, oh, God. that's no joke. Yeah, they, they can't run Biden. That Duke, I mean, he can't give a speech without sounding retarded. I mean, it's just he, there's no way they're gonna yeah. run that guy. There's no way. It's it's look, man. It's I didn't vote for the guy. You know what I mean? I'm 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 kind of in the middle, conservative, you know, uh, centrist, more on the conservative side. You know, family values, the whole thing, and and um, that's just me. You know, but you know, I don't impose my beliefs on anybody, nor do I want anybody imposing their crap on me because I just don't dig that shit. But you know, whoever whoever wins. I wish whoever wins the best, right? Hopefully they make educated decisions and they do what's right for the country or what's in the best interest of the country and have a, and have a good, honest approach on things and do things for the right reasons until you prove me any other, any other way than, 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 you know, this, which this guy has, you know, I think he's an idiot. I'm not a fan of his at all. I, I think he's, He's, he's failing us completely. I can go on and on and on and on, but no, I'm not a Biden supporter. And um, I think he's the worst president we've ever had. He's horrible and he needs to go. Yeah. What, what, do, what do you think about Michelle Obama running? You think, uh, I think that's a good move for the, for the, the left. I think that's a good move because who else they can. <laughs> you can't even see that shit with the straight face. That's, but I'm not even kidding. They, it was on Fox or something. They, they said, "Hey, maybe Michelle uh, Obama's gonna run." People love her. People love her. Yeah, well, good for that. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when she was dancing on Ellen with the white pants? Yeah, yeah. Damn, uh, I mean, that's probably CGI. That's probably CGI. <laughs> yeah, I mean, different strokes for different different strokes for different folks, bro. It's a uh, deep fake. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean? You know, different strokes for different folks, and I wish the woman the best, so or oh, you know, whatever. All right, Mike. You know I love you, man. Any anything? Else? How how can my audience find you? Um, I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. You know, so at uh, referee Mike Beltran and on Instagram and uh, ref Mike Beltran on on Twitter. You know, and um, yeah, that's 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 what's up. All right, Matt. <laughs> Rest up, and and hopefully, you know, you'll be back on the combat jujitsu circuit before you know it. Hopefully, quicker, be than, hopefully quicker than September, Don. Come on. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm honestly, Eddie. I'm, I'm going nuts here. You know, it's 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 very hard for someone who's got ADHD like I do, who's who's used to doing a lot of things and moving around. But this time around, I know that it's it's it's. I definitely needed time to rest into yeah, into yeah. take your time I, you know i'm just kidding I'm yeah no no i'm just 100%. trying to express that i miss you on the road that's yeah all right. I but do, take your time i but, do want to i do if if i know i feel good enough with the treatment that i'm doing you know the hyperbaric chamber and the red light therapy and and stuff like that um that'll expedite everything and, and god willing i'll be back you know if i can come back tomorrow dude i'm, I'm ready to rock you know so i, I can't wait to get back and and do shows with you and be on the road and, and just, just laugh our asses off like we always do, man. So good time, man. with Victor and everybody and Tony, you know? Hell yeah. yeah. All right, man. I'll, I'll talk to you real soon. You got it, brother. Take care, man. Yeah. The Jiu-Jitsu Dojo is the ultimate training ground for life. 
Jiu-Jitsu will accelerate the evolution of your being, your consciousness, your soul. Through this amazing art, you will prove to yourself that you can master anything you set your mind to. Happy birthday, Eddie Bravo! I leave for Brazil tomorrow. Are you the fear factor guy? I'm uh, like six pounds over. Time to sweat it out. Just imagine someone that has no idea how different your game is. I'll tell you what this weekend was, man. It was a culmination point where all your hard work comes to like one great moment in time. You showed that you're a fucking champion. Guy who goes against convention. You created your own shit and figured interesting ways to get around problems in jujitsu. And shows you that great things are possible if you work hard, if you dedicate yourself, and you use your creativity, and you push through. Your own human potential just goes up. My 10th Planet Association has grown rapidly to over 70 academies worldwide and their curriculums are all synced to 10th Planet headquarters located in downtown Los Angeles. I'm Andy Bravo. I hope to see you on the mats. You can tell it's real because it looks so fake. <laughs> <laughs>